Hi. Thanks for uh, showing up. It's uh, funny when one goes away on break, there's this thought one has, oh, maybe when I return, nobody will be there. Nice that you are there. And uh, if uh, you'd like to support my work, uh, everything I do is entirely supported by donation. I don't charge for the teaching, the counseling, everything. It's just entirely up to you. The Venmo is Dharma Punks with an XNYC, and the PayPal button is on the website, as there's also a Patreon, if you feel like uh, doing that. So thanks for your consideration, and tonight we're diving right into resentments, and I thought I had given a talk on it pretty recently, because I was... Uh, asked by a couple of different people to uh, if I had any recent talks on resentments and processing anger and forgiveness and stuff like that. And yeah, so let's talk about resentments. Uh, emotions play a crucial role in life. From the moment we're born, our core survival, our core purpose is to connect with those around us to get our needs met. We are all born completely incapable of feeding, uh, sustaining our own lives. We depend upon uh, caregivers, uh, make some form of uh, solid foundation behaviorally in life. So the way we connect is by signaling our internal states to others to get their attention. Uh, whether it's hunger, thirst, cold, heat, being overwhelmed, feeling vulnerable, feeling uncomfortable. Babies cry, they coo, they squirm, they flail, they grab, they clutch onto people's fingers. They will do anything to get attention until their needs are met, you know, whether it's food, the breast, uh, it might be, might be being changed their diapers, it might be simply being held and soothed when they feel overwhelmed. So the way it works is we have uh, negative internal states, which clinically we might refer to as somatic markers that are activated when we are vulnerable. And then when our needs are met, these negative feelings or somatic markers or physiological discomfort are replaced with positive somatic markers, positive feelings. We experience ease. And then from ease, we start to experience a sense of relief and happiness. And all this in positive internal states um, cement our bonds with our caregivers and encourage us to reconnect with them whenever we're under stress. So all of our affects, our signals, our feelings, uh, especially our uh, emotions, are a need to be felt, to be signaled to others so that our needs will be adaptively met. And by the time we're adults, uh, many of our internal states, such as hunger, thirst, cold, being overheated, um, are associated with easy, quick, adaptive behavioral impulses that we can take on our own. Most of us, if we feel thirsty, we can 
grab our cranberry juice and seltzer and quench our thirst. Um, and uh, so these are easy, quick behavioral impulses that meet an internal state of discomfort. The thirst creates an impulse to find something liquid and then we drink it. Obvious. But there are many situations in adult life where uh, complex interactions with other adults create situations uh, associated with neglect, abandonment, aggression, loneliness, where the negative internal feelings or discomfort that arises can't simply, we can't just simply take an act. We need to, in some way, feel the feelings, make sense of them, regulate them so that they're not too hard or too limited. And then we need to communicate to others our discomfort, like our feelings of being neglected, our feelings of not being taken into consideration, so that adaptive actions can occur. So that's a much more complex emotional process. It's not like we have a somatic feeling and then we simply take an action. When it comes to the nuances of interpersonal life, we have to, one, become aware of what our internal states are signaling, whether they're signaling, for example, sadness, uh, the sense that someone we used to depend on is no longer available, or loneliness, a sense of lack of connection to a community. And then when we know what the feelings are signaling, we regulate them, we communicate them to others, uh, or we take an, and we take an adaptive action. We might reach out to uh, new people to get our needs met, and we might find a community. Uh, we might uh, make changes or, or re-emphasize different interpersonal bonds. So again, in adult life, when it comes to interactions with other people, uh, the process is to, one, feel the internal affect uh, or feelings that are arising and know what they're communicating, whether it's communicating sadness or loneliness or anger. And then we regulate the emotions, which means we make sure they're not too hot or too uh, diminished, too overly regulated. We find just the right amount that encourages us to sit, to talk about our feelings and to get our needs met. Now, anger informs us that another person's behavior compromises our needs, our security, our safety. It encourages us to push back against transgression or people who are taking advantage of us. And it's just as healthy and necessary an affect as um, fear, which motivates us to get out of dangerous interpersonal events. So the internal tension I feel after I witness social injustice, uh, the affect of anger impels me to one, understand that I'm feeling a sense of moral outrage. Two, it, I have to regulate it enough that I can find and locate an action that feels appropriate. Volunteerism, protest, setting boundaries, restorative action, and so forth, and so on. When individuals around us act selfishly, 
in ways that create hardships or burdens or uh, impediments, um, it requires, again, that we know what we're feeling, regulate the uh, affect, and then state clearly what our needs are and take some action if necessary to follow up. Um, one of the ways I get count countlessly, uh, continuously, uh, uh, somewhat peeved is um, I'm a avid biker and I, um, I ride my bike as a primary way I get around the city. And uh, sometimes in bike lanes, people will either park or they will walk in bike lanes. And that's okay if they're doing it for a moment. But if somebody, especially when they're taking up an entire bike lane and you signal that you can't go out into the street and would they walk back onto the sidewalk and then they might at times give attitude, uh, then it triggers in me this sense of frustration and I have to regulate it. And then sometimes I have to say, hey, you're in a bike lane. There's a reason why I'm asking you to get out of the way. Uh, it seems to me that this always happens when I'm ever down in, a, in an area in New York called Dumbo, which has a wonderful bike path that leads through all the piers. But Everybody there views the bike paths as, as a pedestrian walkway. So that's neither here nor there, but that's one of the places where this process is always being tested in me. So again, feel, regulate, express, and take adaptive actions. So uh, in most of the time, that's uh, if you have a co-worker and you're in an office. I don't know why you'd be there anymore because it seems nobody works in offices, but suppose you are. And your co-worker, instead of using headphones, plays music from the 1990s, God forbid, on their computer. And it's not your favorite music and it makes it so that you can't think. Obviously, what we need to do is feel, become aware that we're irritated to become, regulate the emotion enough that we, instead of like, you know, pushing their laptop onto the floor or screaming at them or, or grabbing them by the neck, we regulate the affect. And then we say, hi, I know that you, you clearly enjoy this. Unfortunately, it makes it so that I can't think. Could you wear headphones? That's setting a boundary or stating the need. And then sometimes we might need to follow up with that. If they keep forgetting and doing it, we might need to continue to say, look, I need you to wear headphones. And of course, um, in this way, primary emotions and impulses lead to adaptive behavioral uh, outcomes. We are no longer uh, listening to music that we uh, find distracting. Unfortunately, with human beings, uh, one, uh, we have what's known as secondary affects, which are compliant behaviors that we often... Uh, Go to and place of acknowledging and expressing our primary 
emotions. Secondary emotions are generally compliant, they're socially approved, uh, but they uh, essentially get in the way of taking adaptive actions. So for example, as a Buddhist pastor, it's very often when I feel uh, uh, anger, frustrated, disappointed, then I can have this secondary voice that pops up and says, but you're a Buddhist pastor. You shouldn't feel this way. You should always be uh, relaxed and peaceful and the very image of the Dharma itself. And of course, if I do follow into that sense of uh that secondary emotion, then all that happens is I would repress my frustration and very often wind up in situations where resentments occur. Resentments happen when we fail to undertake the entirely natural process of feeling primary affects, acknowledging them, expressing them, and and making sure we get some kind of adaptive response. So for instance, an employee that doesn't set clear work hours or did set clear workers, but their boss still calls them at all hours of the night and on weekends and so forth. If they don't say, hey, that's unacceptable. If they have a secondary affect that says, oh, I shouldn't be difficult. Then what'll happen is they'll instead feel resentful they'll have stories in their minds of how their boss should act, but they'll act as if everything's okay. They'll try to get their needs met by other routes. Maybe they'll try to um, put their phone on silent, but uh, the adaptive action of simply saying, hey, I'm not available after six or on weekends is uh avoided and therefore it leads to bad outcomes it leads to resentments being built up an individual who plans for a date and their date shows up an hour and a half late they might fear rejection if they express their disappointment or that that's unacceptable to them so if they don't express this need that their date be at least somewhat uh, on time, then they'll build up resentments. Uh, someone who uh, has a roommate who's constantly leaving clothing on the floor, and but they know that this person is difficult, so they don't state their needs, uh, they'll build up resentments. Resentments are common, especially in uneven power dynamics, such as children with parents, people with supervisors, people dealing with bullies in their life, uh, where authentic expression of primary emotions gets them into trouble. It's difficult. But so then what we rely on is resentments instead. Uh, in patriarchal uh, misogynist cultures, women can be shamed for expressing anger and pushing back on being taken advantage of and pressured to respond to mistreatment with compliant or consensus building behavior. And all that winds up happening, of course, is if we fail to set boundaries, state our needs and pursue them, is we'll build up resentments. And the problem with resentments is they come at a terrible cost. The first is that 
they suppress the adaptive, emotionally uh, and evolutionary installed impulses to protect ourselves. Um, rumination is one way we inhibit completely natural behavioral impulses. Um, it's funny that most of us are aware that inner thought has many functions, and we're aware that, for instance, inner thought can help us rehearse speech acts so we can prepare for difficult conversations, we can organize plans, we can make sense of confusing events in our life. But many of us are unaware that the primary role of inner chatter or thought is inhibitory. It is actually, its primary function is to inhibit taking a act, following an impulse. So Freud originally called this a, a defense mechanism, which he labeled intellectualization, where we sit around thinking rather than following primary emotions and taking adaptive actions in our life. Today, it's known as um, response inhibition, response inhibition. That's the clinical term for the cognitive processes that inhibit immediate natural behavioral responses, responses to events. Um, essentially, like all form of excessive cognition and rumination, uh, resentments pop up as a way to stall uh, taking an action that's adaptive. Benjamin Labette, the great neurologist, showed that behavioral act, uh, impulses uh, occur a full half second before the actual impulse is acted upon. And consciousness happens about a quarter of a section, or I think maybe it's even uh, uh, two-tenths of a second before we actually follow through with an action. So he showed that our impulses are pre-conscious. The role of consciousness is simply to stop or inhibit our behaviors at the very last moment before we act out on them. He says, he famously said, we don't have free will, we have free won't. Uh, free won't means we don't get to choose our behaviors, we simply get to choose which behaviors we won't act out on. And resentments is one of the ways we stall taking, expressing our disappointments, our frustrations, and setting clear boundaries in our life. Now, resentments not only inhibit completely vital impulses often, for instance, saying that's not okay when somebody makes an intrusive or completely inappropriate request, um, they inhibit our awareness of the internal somatic markers or feelings. And as a result, in suppressing our awareness of our anger, because we're so caught up in thinking about how uh, terrible or disappointing someone's behavior is, because we're so caught up in the repeating the story of their um, inappropriate behavior, instead we don't actually feel the somatic markers, touch into the anger itself that encourages setting boundaries, and then, of course, we don't follow through 
with actually setting the boundaries. Resentments creates the false sense we're actually taking an action when we're actually doing nothing. We're simply inhibiting actions. Resentments uh, in repressing the actual felt experience of frustration or irritation, what happens is the unresolved anger builds up and if it's finally, if it is expressed, it's expressed in a completely dysregulated degree. Sometimes in relationships, people will bite, their couples will bite their tongue, not talk about frustrations or disappointments. And then out of the blue, some small event will trigger an avalanche of screaming or yelling, tantrums, um, banging, uh, th throwing things and so forth, or even actual physical violence. This is what happens as a result of resentments, because while we are caught up in the story of repeating the laundry list of uh transgressive behaviors that someone's done we're not actually processing feeling the emotions regulating them using the breath using self-soothing techniques and then expressing our needs clearly and following up making sure that adaptive changes have occurred so uh, when people are caught up in the tendency to build up resentments rather than feel their anger and express it in a uh, in a useful way, they will deflect their anger onto complete innocent individuals. A classic example of deflection, of course, is the uh, individual who works with an abusive supervisor who yells at them all day long. They fail to push back or... Uh, or change their job or take some adaptive action. They, they suppress their anger by just telling the story again and again of how terrible their boss is. And then they come home and they shout at their kids. They scream at their neighbors. They get into a fender bender and start a fist fight with a complete stranger. All of this happens as a direct result of resentments. Resentments suppress or inhibit natural impulses to feel emotions, express them in a socially uh, ventral way, which means we use words, and then follow up with getting again and again and again till we get needs met or taking an adaptive action like disconnecting until needs will be met. Resentments instigate infantile behaviors. Um, people who are prone to resentment rather than processing their anger and expressing it skillfully tend to ghost other people. They suddenly disconnect or they'll cut off people or they'll avoid having difficult conversations. Ghosting, avoidance, coping, and cutting off behaviors are considered to be maladaptive, regressive behaviors. They keep us trapped in some of the maladaptive strategies of childhood. In childhood, we are in situations where we can't set boundaries with our parents. Very few of us can say to our parents, 
listen, right now you're being unreasonable. I've expressed my need for autonomy and uh, space. You're not acknowledging that. So I'm just going to take a break and I'll call you back on next Thursday. Very few kids can say that to the parents. So they wind up avoiding, they wind up in denial, they wind up uh, building up resentments to their parents and then bullying other kids in school. So in adult life, we do have the capability to uh, set boundaries rather than cutting off individuals, ghosting them, avoiding them. Uh, in fact, I would argue that the single most prevalent uh, behavioral uh, milestone that we reach that says that we've become adult in our life is the use of setting boundaries and stating needs clearly rather than falling back on avoidance, coping, cutting off people, or ghosting them. So, uh, in Buddhism, when people have resentments, unfortunately, many Buddhist teachers immediately go to the spiritual bypass of saying, well, uh, resentments are no good, but anger is no good, so just practice forgiveness. And in this way, forgiveness becomes a spiritual bypass. It uh, bypasses the hard work of feeling affects, regulating them, expressing them, and setting boundaries. So it's important to never jump to forgiveness. Forgiveness can be a form of denial if we too quickly um, run to them as a process whenever we feel angry with someone. It's just as bad as resentments or denial if we don't first follow the necessary process of giving space and room to our feelings, understanding what the somatic markers are indicating, well, you know, and then expressing this, these feelings to another, frustrated, uncomfortable, it feels like I'm being taken advantage of here, I need to slow down and think about all that you're asking of me. So I'm just going to put a pause on this until I can reflect. I'll get back to you. That's a feeling emotions, expressing them, following up, and then adaptive action. So we need to do that process before we go to forgiveness. The point of forgiveness is doesn't let anyone off the hook. It doesn't mean they're not answerable to their acts. It simply means we forgive once we've taken adaptive acts to protect ourselves as a way to not repeat or ruminate about the events of the past. So essentially they have to, someone has to live with their actions, but not us. And I also would like to note that uh, when you come up with just the right adaptive act to take, sometimes by visualizing what someone really skillful will do, you know it because you start to feel the somatic markers of anger begin to dissipate. So in our meditation tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to note uh, a prominent resentment we have, 
we're going to find the somatic markers that are conveying the frustration. We're going to regulate the somatic markers enough so that we could express our needs in a regulated or socially appropriate way. I, we're not going to shout, scream, or uh, break down in tears. We're simply going to be matter of factual when we do express it. We'll visualize taking the adaptive action, and then we'll practice very quickly forgiveness. And in the process of forgiveness, we ask forgiveness for something that we've done that was some way transgressive or inappropriate. Just think of something mild, that not something that triggers shame. Two, we're going to forgive ourselves for that, knowing that uh, that doesn't in any way reflect our true sense of self or our beliefs. And then three, we'll, in that spirit, forgive someone else after the, the person that we have the resentment for will forgive to the degree that we can. So it's important to, um, in this practice, don't, don't bring up a resentment with someone that you don't want to do a forgiveness practice with. <laughs> so if it's, you know, your ex or your emotionally unavailable father or whatever, or, uh, someone who's continu continuously mistreated you, we're not going to work with that person. We're going to work with a mild resentment. We're going to practice the tools, and then we're going to practice the forgiveness process. So thank you for listening. I hope that was in some way useful and informative, and now find a really comfortable uh, uh, place to sit so that we can... practice together. So let's just bring our attention into our bodies. And just find the most comfortable sensations available as a place to land in your body. So if that's behind your eyes or in your heart center or in your hand, the palms of your hands, or if it's in your, if it's in your belly or wherever, just find a place that feels safe to bring your attention and rest your attention on. Sometimes it's 
good to rest a hand on one's heart center or to place two hands on one's belly to help soften the belly or bring warmth to the heart center. And what I encourage you to do is find the rhythm of the inhalation and the exhalation and with the exhalation, try to spread any ease that is in your, this area of your body to the surrounding areas. So for instance, if your heart center feels relaxed when you place a hand on it or just in and of itself feels comfortable, Breathe into it, light it up with attention, and then as you breathe out, imagine you can knead or spread that ease and comfort to your shoulders, to your torso, to your back. Really focusing on what is pleasant, what the Buddha called sukha, and then using the exhalation to spread the ease and comfort to the rest of the body. The inhalation brings awareness, the exhalation spreads, relaxes. the more attention we give to the exhalation and the more we spread, lengthen the exhalation, the more relaxed and at home we'll feel. While you do this, it's worthwhile taking a moment to just make sure your shoulders are not clenched in any way, that they're falling away from your ears and that the sit bones or buttocks are relaxed, you're not clenching there, that the belly is as soft and pliant as it can be, that your jaw isn't clenched. And then... As you check these areas where we habitually hold so much of the stress and unresolved tensions of life, bring your awareness back to the area of your body that feels really comfortable. An area I like to start from is behind my eyes. I'll breathe in. Imagine I'm breathing into my eyes and just feel the warmth there and the ease. And then with the exhalation spread up to the forehead and down to the cheeks.
If it's ever difficult to stay in your body, just feel absolutely encouraged at times to allow the body to step back in your awareness and bring forward just the, the sounds that surround you. And just listen to sounds arising and passing like a very strange symphony of sounds, music from a entirely unknown culture, or perhaps like you're an astronaut from Mars and you've just landed in a human body and you've never heard all the sounds of your surroundings before. So you have no story about what's irritating and what's not irritating. They're just sounds. And you just listen with curiosity. And as much as you like, you can go back and forth between listening to sounds and then back into the body, finding the most comfortable sensations and using the breath to spread the ease. Spread what the Buddha called sukha, pleasantness, until the body becomes a refuge from all of the hectic busyness of the world around you. And we remind ourselves that right now we have, in this sacred moment of our life, where we come to a complete stop and just land in our lives, there's right now, in this moment, nothing to do nothing to take care of, nothing to address for this short space of time. We give permission for everything outside of us to take care of itself, for the world to run on its own, for us to step off the merry-go-round and just Take a breather, renew, replenish. And every time your mind wanders away from either the sensations of ease in your body or from the sounds around you and you get lost in a little movie in your mind in the form of memories or plans or even resentments. Just gently acknowledge whatever's pulled you away promise you can return to it in a little while and just return back to the most comfortable sensation in your body and give yourself a very rewarding 
full in-breath and long, peaceful exhalation.
So you can continue with the concentration practice, or if you'd like, you can practice the mindfulness process of anger. If you'd like to join me, uh, try to bring to mind someone that has been acting in a way that results in ongoing uh, rumination about, or at least occasional rumination about the inappropriateness of their behavior. Maybe every once in a while your mind returns to the story of something they've done that seems unskillful or is unskillful. And we're not going to repeat the story again of their different uh, inappropriate acts. All we're going to do is just bring them to mind and hold a triggering image, an image that's resonant enough that you start to feel a sense of discomfort. What we're trying to do is activate the somatic feelings of irritation or annoyance or even anger so play around and find some image or some event that you can label until you start to feel even just maybe some clenching around your eyes or your jaw or maybe there's just this general sense in your body of, of uh, tension. Once you've found the triggering image, don't do any more. Work with the image. Just bring your awareness into your body or find the somatic feelings of anger and just allow them to arise and be present. Don't cut them off. Sometimes if we've been suppressing a lot of frustration, we might even feel this real energy moving up our body or this sense of gritting our teeth or real tension in our shoulders or arms, or it just might be a little bit of, of discomfort tightening around the belly. And we're just going to spend a minute just allowing ourselves to be with the feeling of anger, not cutting it off, not trying to get rid of it by shouting or yelling, just being with the Feelings associated with frustration, disappointment, being inconvenienced, being pissed off.
And once you've sat with or been with the feelings of anger, the next is to regulate it. We could breathe into it and soften it and soften the belly. One strategy that I like to do is to visualize what kind of action would alleviate this feeling of frustration. What haven't I done? What haven't I, what action haven't I taken? And very often at first, the answers might be over the top. And so sometimes I'll rein in and find the really the appropriate act in response to my frustration by asking myself, what would somebody that I really admire who embodies both confidence and some spiritual uprightness, what would they do in this situation? How would they how would they set a boundary? How would they state their needs? Don't use a character or a person that is too compliant. But don't use a figure that's reckless or aggressive. If there's a figure associated with wise, confident, uprightness, just again, ask them how or envision how they would respond. And then if you find the right response to the situation and you visualize yourself following this lead, you start to feel the anger subside in visualizing the most appropriate, not dysregulated, not too hot, not too mild, just the right response that feels adult and measured, but firm at the same time, you'll note that the underlying affect, the underlying anger starts to fade, becomes alleviated. So at this point, if it feels right, set an intention to follow this process. 
to act out the way that this wise individual in your mind would act. You might want to check in with a friend familiar with the situation and run by it with them to make sure that the adaptive response you've envisioned is appropriate. And finally, as a way to simply put aside the story, I would note that forgiveness doesn't let anyone off the hook. If somebody's acted in ways that are harmful or unskillful, forgiving them simply drops the story in your mind, the resentment. It doesn't in any way mean that they're off their hook. They still get all the bad karma as it was. They still are answerable to their misdeeds. They still have to live with the consequences. We simply forgive so that we don't have to think about something. And we only forgive once we've figured out what adaptive action we need to take to protect ourselves. So bring to mind some inappropriate behavior that's something that you've done that in retrospect you wouldn't do again. Something that felt unhelpful to others. Maybe you didn't show up when you promised to do something or you out of frustration said something that you wish you hadn't. And then knowing that we're going to be practicing forgiveness, forgive yourself for this misdeed, simply setting an intention not to do it again. I forgive myself. That didn't represent who I am, who I want to be. I forgive myself. And then in that spirit, bring to mind the person whose actions have been inconvenient. And knowing you're going to take adaptive action and knowing that Forgiving them doesn't get them off the hook. It simply alleviates the need to tell the story over and over again. Offer them forgiveness. I forgive you. I know what I need to do. I'm no longer going to repeat this
list of disappointing acts in my mind. I'm going to state my needs, set boundaries, change the dynamics, and to let go of the story, I forgive you. All right, so at this time, uh, just patiently, slowly, let go of this practice, a mixture of mindfulness and forgiveness, and just slowly open your eyes, return your awareness to something in the world around you. Doesn't have to be the screen, it can be anything you want that's soothing. <laughs> 